0: Well, hey, everybody,
1: and welcome to episode 230 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I think if you listen to this podcast even occasionally, or if you read some of my writing on my blog, or you picked up my latest book, didn't see it coming, you know that one of the core commitments that I have is to see you thriving in life and leadership. And that deals with a lot of like emotional health, just all the soft issues that maybe we don't talk about enough in leadership. Because these are the things that I see sinking leaders. Stuff like, you know, I wrote about and didn't see it coming. Cynicism, you know, pride, emptiness. It's it's that stuff that you can't really figure out. And one of the voices that has really spoken to me in the midst of all of this is uh, Pete Scazzaro. And I've got him as a guest. He is uh, quite well known now for his work on becoming an emotionally healthy leader And it's so good. I I won't spoil it for you. But Pete and I go back to a book that I read years ago when I was on vacation that kind of helped me realize, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, I I got work to do. And uh, so it was a real joy to be able to talk to Pete. This is a pretty honest, open conversation. It's about all that stuff. Like, remember when you were a young leader and you were really excited? And I know there's a lot of young leaders listening, but like think back a year or two when you just started and maybe you had more enthusiasm than you do right now. Or maybe you were more hopeful or more optimistic. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's where we're going to go today. So, whether you're in business, whether you're in the church space, uh, I think this is really helpful because these conversations determine how you end. It determines the kind of family you're going to raise, it determines the kind of person you're going to be, uh, the kind of senior years you're going to have. And it's just so important to me. If you work on this stuff now, oh man great things happen. So anyway, Pete's written a number of books. We'll link to everything in the show notes. And, and, you know, that sort of inspired me to write my last book, Didn't See It Coming, which is still months after release. Number one in, well, when I was recording this, all the categories, audiobook, Kindle, uh, and hardcover. Thank you so much. Uh, It's all about overcoming the seven greatest challenges no one expects and everyone experiences. You can learn more at Didn't See It Coming book Com. Also, guys, hey, it is budget season, and I got two things I want to tell you about today that I think can help you immensely. First of all, what are you doing for your digital strategy? It is, after all, almost 2019. So I really think that if you're going to engage your people maximally, you need a strategy. And you talk to most churches, they're like, yeah, not really sure. Even if you have like a mobile thing, you're not sure what you're doing with it. Why not check out pushpay.com carry? Um, it's more than just a mobile giving platform. So first of all, you know my conviction that, I mean, if you go to mobile giving, you are going to have more giving next year. So there's that. But it's also about connecting with your congregation and the people you want to reach during the week. It's an engagement strategy. I love PushPay. They do great stuff. I think they're the leader at keeping our industry on the cutting edge of technology, and they have a huge heart for the church. Last year, they helped more than 7,000 customers process billions of dollars in generosity. So head on over. They got a special offer. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you go to pushpay.com slash carry, uh, just sign up, talk to a rep, and they've got, uh, well, a special offer. For listeners of this podcast, absolutely no obligation, but go to pushpay.com slash carry to learn more and get your church into the future in 2019. And speaking of the future, it is budget season. So are you thinking about how to fund your next big growth project? So if you're a senior or exec pastor, maybe you're trying to hire a youth pastor or children's pastor, or you got a new building project or, you know, you know, it's crunch time. You just got to save money. Remodel Health is a new technology solution that offers a unique health insurance benefits platform that's saving most churches get this 30 to 50% on their health insurance costs. Yeah, that's because they're really a technology company. They partnered with Metashare and they're an affiliate of Brotherhood Mutual. So you're working with the best, and on average, they're helping churches save $60,000 to $100,000 per year to repurpose toward projects that will help you do more for your ministry. So in other words, like that's a couple staff positions right there. Visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to find out more and receive a free quote and buying guide today. That's remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. And by the way, carry is spelled C-A-R-E-Y in all cases. And uh, guys, I am so excited to dive into my conversation with Pete Scazzaro. He is an amazing leader, author. He and his wife Jerry do incredible things. And he's got real talk. So this is about you. This is about your leadership. Because guess what? You bring you into everything you do. I uh, hope you enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Well, I'm really thrilled to have Pete and Pete. I kind of need you to say your name because you say it with a New York accent way better than I could.
0: Uh, so it's a it's Pete Scazzaro. See
1: Scazzaro. <laughs> but I can't I can't quite get the A right with my Canadian accent. Anyway.
0: It's an Italian thing, Kerry. It's an
1: Italian thing and a New York (laughs) thing, a Queens thing. Okay, great. Coming to us from New York City, from Queens, uh, Pete Scazzaro. And I have really appreciated your ministry over the years. Uh, It's got a a personal impact for me, as I was telling you before I turned on the mic, uh, because I took, I think, your first book with me as vacation reading about the Emotionally Healthy Church. And you had that nasty assessment in the middle of it where I realized, I'm an emotional toddler. This is like, I think I'm three years old. So I was like 35 going on three. Um, <laughs> tell me how you got into the whole business of paying attention to the emotional health of the leader. What was your background and your story into
0: that? Carrie, it's not really very complicated. I got into it into it through pain. Mm. And through crises uh, in my own life and in my own leadership. So I didn't, I wasn't like pursuing this. It was basically a wall that I could not get through based on my experience, my gifts, my, uh, you know, my network. I I wasn't going to get through this wall. So at that point, I've been pastoring six, seven years, planted a church here in New York City. And... Uh, we were growing, we actually were planting other churches. But uh, I realized on an external level, people were changing, but not changing very deeply. And again, our context Mm. here in the inner city of New York, uh, we're a multiracial church with about 70 plus different nations in it. So uh, as we had folks, African-Americans, Latinos, folks from all throughout Asia, Europe, et cetera, the racial tensions and dynamics were such that I realized that we were not going to reflect the multiracial body of Christ that the Bible talks about. We, were, we had a vision for it, but that our discipleship did not go deep enough to really change people that deeply. And then it was clear we were recycling the same old problems uh, under stress. And I said, there's, there's something wrong here because our discipleship is not working real well. And then on a personal level, my own life began to crumble. That's probably really got my attention. You know, I was stressed out, exhausted, like many other lead pastors. And uh, we had a split in one of our church plants. And I found myself very angry and bitter and cursing. Didn't know what to do with all that emotion inside of me. And then my wife was unhappy in the marriage with four kids. And so God was you know, banging at my door for a while until Jerry, my wife, quits and says, I'm not participating in this pathology anymore and I'm not leaving you, but I'm not going to go to church here anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's what at that point, hit the bottom where God had my full attention. Mm-hmm. And then I was ready to go into the, what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship and leadership. Then I, mean, and then I had to basically stop. God stopped me. You know, I, I wasn't gonna, where was I going to go at this point?
1: What were some signs that you were emotionally unhealthy? When you look back on that before Jerry quit, what were what were some indicators, just so people can find themselves in the story?
0: Well, just just ask you know, for me, I mean Jerry, my wife, whom I loved, was unhappy. Mm. I mean, she didn't feel loved by me. I loved her, but she didn't feel it. So that's always the first question. Here I am trying to love the whole world and my own wife doesn't feel it. Right. So that that was that was number one. Number two is I was really I, I was Stressed. I was highly stressed, anxious, uh, going way too hard, did not have any rhythm in my life. Um, And as much as I incorporated, quote, spiritual disciplines, I was very disciplined in terms of my, you know, disciplines, but it wasn't enough. Um, And I think I I leaked a lot, you know, in terms of my my, Mm. my stuffed emotions were leaking into anger, uh, frustration. And I, I was, uh, I was clear. I was recycling the same old problems. Something was wrong. I, 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 the pain is what got me moving. Sadly, uh, but part of it is—you is, know—my training as a leader had never touched on the emotional components of leadership or discipleship, and so no. it was—it was a whole ignored area in my life. And so, you know, leading leadership brings out all one's gaps eventually. Well, it all comes out. And I had—I had so many. I was so immature trying to raise up mothers and fathers out of the faith, but I was an emotional infant. I mean, that was the sad thing about it. I, you know, I great exegetically and I knew a lot of leadership stuff from the conferences and I could lead and build a church, but I was emotionally uh, unavailable and I was really an emotional infant and it was ludicrous to think that I was going to raise up mothers and fathers of the faith who were going to change the world. That's what's really sad. And I got—I kind of got – I, kinda got put, I look, look back now, Carrie, and I say, well, you know what? You know, the kind of the, the world is kind of – the evangelical world's kind of pushed me as, forward because I had gifts and I could lead and speak. And so, you know, as far as they're concerned, I'm a—I'm a poster child, hero.
1: You're a rock star. And, and, yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm a rock star that's about to crash. But no one's thinking about my inner life. <laughs> they're just saying the externals, that's all anybody cares about. That's what's really tragic. um, And nobody ever asked about my marriage, you know, how is that going? That was a non-issue for most leadership conferences, wasn't talked about.
1: What are some signs of emotional immaturity that people should look for?
0: You know, I, I, would, I, I would start with level of awareness, self-awareness, mm-hmm. about what's going on inside of you. You know, I just read a statistic of, uh, I think it's that book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, those guys yeah. who, and they said that 36% of people in the workplace cannot identify their emotions easily. Like you said, you know, what do you feel? They really, they really not sure. And I thought that's probably pretty accurate of most churches as well. I mean, people, they don't have a theology for our humanity, for what's, you know, emotional. We don't, you know, we have a theology that goes way back to Augustine or, you know, it's Neoplatonism that emotions are bad, spirit's mm. good, you know, the body's bad. And so we've got this kind of a, neoplatonic view of life and i think it really impacts us as leaders because we we actually this is like second it's secondary that what's important is what you do externally what you're thinking but not what's going on inside of you feeling wise so i think your level of self awareness of what's going on inside of you that's that's clearly number 1 the ability to in, to feel and to integrate your feelings into a healthy thought process uh, and then secondly, is the pace of your life slowing down for Jesus? I, That is, you know, is your life slowed down enough to be with Jesus out of what you do for Jesus? I think that is that is a critical number two. Um, and then, of course, as you know, Carrie, if you want to really find out how you're doing, just ask the people around you. You know, how do you experience, yeah. ask them how, how do they experience you? And I think I was a, you know, I was a, I was a force, sometimes a destructive force, you know, and I walked in a room, uh, and I don't think my presence brought great peace and joy to our team that I was leading. It was too frenetic, too anxious, and I was very unaware of how, for example, my family of origin had impacted me. I I just, I was so unaware, Uh, so... I look back, I, it's sad. So I've been on a journey. It's been a, a slow journey over 23 years now and uh, still unfolding. And it's been wonderful. But, um, you know, I'm still on it. I mean, it's not like I like, hey, I got it, check. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was a turning point for me of integration that these have been the best 20, almost 23 years of my life. I mean, it as a person, as a father, husband, I mean, le- I've loved leadership. But I had to leave, in a sense, a formation that I'd received that I would consider very limited and constricted. Uh, and it was killing me, actually. Uh, I think I would have had to leave that kind of le- – I would have had to leave leadership to save my soul if something hadn't happened to me.
1: Had, had you continued on, the end was near or inevitable?
0: Yeah, I think I would have left. I think I would have left and done something else, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, my marriage couldn't support it, you know. My, 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 I mean, Jerry wasn't going to participate in it. We had four small girls at the time, and she didn't want to be a single mom. I don't yeah. blame her. Thank God she saved my life. I mean, I appreciate her.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to be facetious here, but I'm just curious. You say the key is self-awareness. I agree. Daniel Goleman would agree. Every counselor in the world would agree. Yep. How do you know whether you're self-aware? I mean, it's almost a circular thing, right? Where, where it's like, I don't know, am I self-aware? How do how do I know I'm self-aware? If I say I'm yeah. self-aware, am I actually self-aware?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, like up to that point, um, I remember. So I ended up in a therapist's office. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I, I didn't, you yeah, know, again, I wasn't the kind of guy that went to a therapist's office. I mean, therapist going to a therapist was for losers, you know. <laughs> no, I
1: know. <laughs> I, it's, your, your story parallels mine. I, I send uh, people there. I don't go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, when I finally got there because of pain and again, Jerry forcing me to look at myself, uh, is when I realized that I didn't really know what I felt. I I couldn't even, I knew anger. I was good at anger, but I I wasn't good at like, I'm sad about this or this person hurt me yesterday. I was just like, let's go move on. Let's, you know, next hill to take. And, and uh, and then began to ask questions about my family of origin, you know how I grew up, which was very painful. in I grew up in an Italian- American home. Uh, and you know there was abuse in my family, mm-hmm. uh, physical and some severe emotional abuse. and so I, I, I came into adulthood quite damaged. I came to Christ, but I was carrying a load that I would never gotten touched in my discipleship and so uh once I started to look at that i I, I started doing feeling like I, I I journal in the morning as part of my prayer time like what am I feeling you know like what I because I was so bad I was like how did I feel about that conversation with Kerry yesterday in the podcast oh you know what he really pissed me off when he said this you know <laughs> yeah. but, but like I, I I was I couldn't even act I couldn't tell you at the moment but I had to like practice like it's like exercising in a gym I was just so bad at it you know or Kerrie said yeah. that to me yesterday I, That was sarcastic. That had a zing to it. Oh, yeah, write that down. I got to talk to her about that. So it was that kind of a thing, like little baby steps. And then I began to look at my family of origin, how it impacted me. That was like a shock. You know, anything that's-
1: To the extent that you're comfortable sharing,
0: what did did you learn? So, for example, um, you know, again, in my family growing up, like men didn't do feelings, you know. Right. You you just, just shut up and get to work, you know, and do it. You know, my my family had an extra zing to it. I I think because uh, Italian culture, Italian American culture, uh, you are what you do culture, mm-hmm. and so to begin to realize, oh my gosh, like like what do you feel? Like, Shut up, feel. Just go do it, you know, and get up. And then I began to read Psalms. He scripture opened up for me, like his David is enormous gamut of emotions, you know, or you know he's all he's suicidal, he's joyful, he's jumping, he's happy. I mean, he's just he's feeling before God. And I discovered the Psalms, I discovered Lamentations, I discovered, you know, you know, I discovered grief and loss, I, mean, I was, all of a sudden the whole Bible began to open up to me, like, I'm missing the Bible, like I'm, I've got a very narrow Bible here, and I've been, oh my <laughs> gosh, what, and, and so once I got permission, I think of that, then I, then I was like, oh no, I don't do feelings because you weren't allowed to feel growing up, because, you know, when you're being abused and, you know, beaten up quite a lot, you know, on a weekly basis, you don't feel. I mean, you can't feel. If you're a kid, you'll die if you feel. So you have to shut all that down. But now the problem was, I was an adult in my mid-thirties, and I'm still not feeling. My own. I mean, how do you love if you don't feel? I mean, my wife couldn't feel it, so I didn't. How do you feel? I didn't know. Just I feel good. How do you feel? You know, it's just. Yeah. I, I was just. So you can't get close to a person who doesn't feel. Love is about feelings, right? It's it's connection. It's it's connecting, a bonding with a person. Not an intellectual thing. We think the same things, and so you really couldn't get close to me because I wasn't close to me. Hmm. I didn't know what's going on inside of me. How are you going to get close to me? You can guess what's inside of me. He seems angry, you know. So I would, and then I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't lead. I, I, you know, I have a gift of leadership, but my leadership was confusing because one, I didn't do conflict because I never saw it. I, I didn't. I never saw conflict resolved in a mature way, so I would just over spiritualize things, and I'd be a doormat. I just would, you know, I would. So how it. would
1: you over spiritualize things? Because it happens As, a lot in the church.
0: Yeah, it happens in companies too, right? I, I, what I would do is, is, um, I wouldn't, ad- I wouldn't address it straight on. So, right, I'm a leader. I'm setting vision. We're going forward here, and then of course you get folks who are don't think this is a good idea. It could be something, (laughs) it could be as simple as I'm leading a staff meeting and someone wants to spend half the staff meeting praying and I want to say, no, you know what, there's an agenda, here's what we're going to do in the staff meeting. Something as simple as that. But rather than, you know, have a direct conversation with the person, one-on-one, you know, assert myself, negotiate our differences. You know, I call it clean fighting today. Right? Let's Mm. have a clean, clean, you know, a clean discussion, speak clearly, respectfully, honestly. I would uh, stuff it I would maybe over-spiritualize, you know, I think the Lord is saying this, you know, and throw God in there. Right. But I, I I, would be passive-aggressive. I would give people a silent treatment. I would avoid. When there was a conflict in the church, I generally would take the blame for it and say, let's move on, because I was so uncomfortable with tension. Hmm. And so I, I, used to, I used to love verses like Jesus was a lamb going to the slaughter. I used to be like, okay, beat me up, but we're going to, you know, we got to keep going here but I wasn't having an honest conversation with people about things. Something as simple as that, like speaking honestly, I lied so much, Carrie, when I realized (laughs) in 1996 that my life, I lied to myself about what I was feeling and what I was thinking. I lied to my wife in conversations, uh, in the bedroom. It could be in the bedroom. It could be in the kitchen uh, because I didn't want to have conflict or tension. I I think even our church, everything from spinning vision, which, as you know, is easy to do as a leader, exaggerating, looking at data, hard data, being honest about it. You know, I just, I, so starting to be honest in 1996 was part of my revolution, was being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, that was like, oh my God, like, that was hard. Yeah. Uh, and every day, I said, I'm going to try to, and I used to say to Jerry, my wife gave me six months. We kind of had this convert, second conversion. And. And uh, we took a three-month sabbatical to begin to work out that emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. We said, well, let's just try to live it ourselves, personally in our marriage. Took a three to four-month sabbatical, came back, and Jerry said to me, I give you six months, you know, basically. Hmm. And I said, no, I think I I can do this. You know, she goes, you've changed, and we've changed now, and taken some early steps. She goes, but, you know, we created a church here that everyone's doing it the way we have always done it. For you to walk back in that system, and I think you're going to be strong enough. And one of my criteria was that I would, our marriage would be first.
2: Hmm.
0: Like I, I would lead out of our marriage. I, Jerry, for, at this point, after Jesus, like we made a vow, I'm going to lead out of the fullness of our marriage. And if at any point you feel like the church is first, I'll resign. I made that commitment. Wow. And I meant it. She goes, I don't think you can do it. And I said, I know. I said, but I, I, I'm going to give it a shot. I believe I can. I said, I will resign before i hurt you again and so of course we, we cut our you know limits became a big part of our life theology of limits and and uh it, but it was a day-by-day thing and so it was a matter of changing not just ourselves but then leading out of our inner life and out of our marriage and changing our culture uh it was it was it was quite a journey it was really was and i uh But at that point, I had nothing left to lose because it was awful. Hmm. It was awful. And I'm embarrassed. I look back. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Pete. Like, dang. Not that I haven't made many mistakes since then. But the level of unawareness, especially how my past impacted my present, I just can't even believe it. How the shallowness of my leadership and discipleship. And I was saying all these great things in the pulpit from scripture. But I wasn't living very much of it.
1: Yeah. The lying part. There's a, a researcher who says the average person tells about 200 lies a day, which seems crazy. <laughs> but everything from, you know, hey, do you like cauliflower? Sure. Yes. To, I mean, little stuff. I'm not talking about lying to the yeah, IRS yeah. or the police. I'm, you're talking about like trying to get through a meeting is a great yes. example or over-spiritualizing things or telling your wife something that you know isn't true happens a lot in the church doesn't it we don't tell the truth
0: well we want to be nice yeah and we actually believe that if i can if you if i'm nice to you that that's helping you and we forget that we're not helping people if it's a truth that sets us free now again yeah. we're talking about we want to be respectful right we want to be thoughtful not imprudent and nasty yeah but lying is never going to, you're never going to build the kingdom of God by pretending that what's wrong is right. Hmm. And I think what happens in leadership is because we want to be liked. And I, I didn't, I I did not realize Carrie how much I wanted people's approval and validation. Sure. It was deep. And again, you got to go back to family of origin for that. And there were some gaps in my own form, you know, my own just developmental didn't get validation or approval from, my parents for different reasons. My mom had mental illness and my dad was emotionally unavailable. So here I am like, now I can get validation from preaching and teaching and casting vision. But if I have a one-on-one conversation with you, Carrie, as someone who works for me, and I got to tell you that you did a poor job, Mm. you're not going to like me I have to let you go. You're not going to like me. No, people pleasing,
1: right?
0: Yeah. and So I would avoid that conversation and I'd preach more teach more because that was people like me then you're with me but I oh yeah I wasn't so I I wasn't aware of how that was a deep family of origin issue of validation and just memorizing a few bible verses was not going to change that Hmm.
1: you said something very interesting that your spiritual walk like you believe in Jesus you you love him you read the bible you pray um can you have a close walk with God and still be emotionally spiritually immature how does that work
0: well, let me ask you a question can you <laughs> have can you love God zealously and be and and yet people experience you as defensive judgmental and unapproachable yeah. And I, I think that's a great question. I think um, your question's very good. Um, you're, no question, I felt close to God. Yeah. Um, and I would go to, I was, you know, we're a you know, charismatic church. And so we were, I was going to major, revi- you know, prophetic kind of meetings and, uh, you know, glory of God coming in a room and experiencing all that. And our church, I would say, was very much like that in the early years. People came to Christ. People were healed. I really did see, I believe in miracles. And, uh, I, and and so we saw amazing things happen, but it was much like the book of first Corinthians. Um, it was almost a Gnostic kind of Christianity, but there wasn't love and humility and brokenness, uh, that was in the core of it all. And like what Paul says, if you've got all the gifts and the power and growing a big church, but you don't, you don't have this ingredient called agape, which is very supernatural. you, You don't really don't have anything. And I think that's, I would say whether you feel close to God's not the question. The question is, I think, are people experiencing you as you know, like Jesus, you know, like hmm. humble, approachable, soft, safe. That that's that's why you know, that's just what I was reading today about you know, and if your brothers has something against you. He says, leave your gift to the altar. Jesus doesn't go and reconcile. Then come back to the altar and worship. We do it just the opposite. No, I know I I can always unresolve relationships, but I'm just going to keep worshiping God, and I feel better, you know? And so I I found myself in, I was in 10 hours of prayer meetings a week in the early years. Hmm. We had so many prayer meetings. We were following the Korean model, early morning prayer once a week, you know, Friday nights, half nights of prayer. And I believe in prayer, but no, is prayer enough? No. No, it's not. No. That no, if you're
1: not right with people, you're not right with God.
0: You can't separate the two. Yeah. And I think I kept even though I I just it just got separated for me mm. in 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 the t- in slowly over time in building, you know, the church. And even who I looked for, who I was gonna hire, who were gonna be key leaders, my whole criteria was external, like gifts, experience, competency. It wasn't like are is this person like humble? Broken, right. approachable, you know, and I, like that was like, oh my god! Like when I realized that's me, I'm the problem. So, so it really started with me, Care. I was like, I, I got, am yeah. a, a mess here. I was like, oh god! So, so, but it was liberating too because I, 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 I stopped trying to show any. I was stopped trying to impress anybody. I was like, that's over, because mm. I'm not impressive, and, and I'm kidding myself. It was very freeing, actually, and very liberating.
1: You said something about your church, which is interesting. You know, Jerry had given you six months, Pete, and you're like, no, we can do this. But she also made the astute observation that you trained an entire congregation to behave basically like you. Somebody yeah. once said, you know, we reproduce, what? how do they phrase it? We reproduce who we are, not who we want to be. And that's true. So you would go back to New Life Church and probably see a group of, immature people, first of all, how did they respond to the new Pete? And then what what did you do to help them lead a
0: similar journey of
1: sort of awakening?
0: Well, I would say that when I first came back, and this is 1996, I, I, I'll start with the bad news first.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> Why yeah. not? <laughs> Why so, not? you know, we had, it was a you know, a few of our friends, obviously, you know, we'd get together every couple of weeks. And I had one friend who was really prophetic and, you know, big intercessor and you're always getting words from God, but he, he didn't like, he tended to be on the judgmental side. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. And I'll never forget, like he, we, we, we get together for a big Italian meal, Italian guy, you know, and, and he, would, you know, when he started criticizing some other pastors in the, in our city here uh and I, I couldn't take it. I was like, no, wait, wait a second, don't talk about him this way. He's, you know, I just appreciate him. we love the church. We love the whole church and we've all got flaws and and he didn't go over well and did it again and again. And um I realized that like I I I don't want to participate in this. Mm-hmm. And so I kept saying something and I said, I, I don't wanna have an enjoyable dinner here if you're gonna criticize, you know, but to actually have a conviction like that, it cost me the friendship.
1: Yeah, you, you guys didn't stay friends no, after no. that?
0: Well, he left the church and felt I was arrogant and all that stuff, you know. And so it's just, but actually what happened was his marriage wasn't in good shape either. Uh, He's very spiritual. And I basically let him know that if you're going to continue, I said, uh, before you use your gifts any longer in our church, I said, you, I said your marriage has to have integrity. And I said, it doesn't right now. Your wife is miserable. And as your pastor, I'm telling you to like to stop taking care of the whole church right now and ministering to the world and get get to work on your marriage
2: mm.
0: out, out of which you're to use your gifts and that didn't go over real well so because no one was going to teach him he was you know he kind of had a direct line with god oh, yeah, It's fine you know and god moved him on to another church and i get i get that and it worked out okay right i mean for him and but i i, I began to set some i think parameters of what's yeah. what's acceptable what's healthy which i think a pastor is meant to do a leader does determine the culture so I, but that was, that was very, that was in a couple of instances and in a couple of individuals, but in general, just like I was in need of like a deliverance, I was in bondage. I, the whole church was in a sense, yeah. I, I think within, and and so we began to do it very slowly, just bring it to our staff team, our board. And I didn't write anything, carry or speak on it anywhere for seven years. I just said, let me just live this out. And I said, a good friend came to me and said, Pete, don't write it down, let it age like good wine, this material hmm. and. Then you can write it down. So after seven years, I, I wrote down the book, The Emotional Healthy Church. I so said, Let me put this on paper theologically. So I had to do a lot of inner work of starting to live it out. But it was it was, you know, it was people were. I remember one woman, uh, and I was on the phone with her just the other day, when we shared our story, uh, Jerry and I, about our marriage being a mess and falling apart, and just and she ran out of the room. And I went after her at the time i said what what are you doing she goes i feel like you're naked <sighs> and i'm so i'm it's not how i see a pastor like it just scared me hmm. and uh we, we were just sharing about jerry's unhappiness i mean it wasn't like right was anything that horrific you know but it was just for her to hear, see that kind of vulnerability and brokenness and tears just, it was a, such a paradigm shift. So I think we, we we started attracting large numbers of broken people, I think, AA types, you know, I think mm-hmm. just, and we began to, I think, move away from a religious kind of an external measure of spirituality. That was a big shift. That, that yeah. was big that was big do you
1: see because you work with a lot of leaders nationally internationally do you think people use spirituality as a mask for emotional ill health and if so how
0: well I the way people can use a lot of things to mask emotional immaturity right so if i i, I could be a ceo and just be absorbed in my business making money and be masking all my immaturity because I have money, I have power, I've got position. So I can use a lot of things. To, I can go from relationship to relationship as a single person to mask my immaturity of not wanting to be alone. So there's lots of things I can use. So do people use the church and leadership? Of course they do. What? Well, of course. And I think that should be the norm. We expect that. Um, I mean, if you look at the New Testament, look at the you know Jesus with the Pharisees and Sadducees Trying to talk with them and trying to help them come into some vulnerability, some openness, some softness, right? And explodes on them in Matthew twenty-three. You know, woe to you! You know, you 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 tell them what to do, but you you don't don't practice what you preach. And I I think that that should be the norm. I think the question is, am I getting the kind of discipleship and mentoring I need as a leader to help me not follow the way of the world's understanding of leadership? And I think, unless there's some, to, you know, an evangelicalism or, or the Christian culture, I think has bought into a secular leadership model, which focuses on the, you know, success and numbers and all that. That we have to make an effort to go this direction because it's so countercultural and counterintuitive, and it's slow, which is which is
1: mm-hmm. hard. Do you think, generally speaking, that? the emotional health of a leader is reflected in the emotional health of a congregation that as goes the leader, so goes the church.
0: Yes. Yes. There are some situations when the, the the system is so toxic Mm. and especially when a pastor maybe stepping into a church has been around a while that it's not possible to remain in the situation, that there are a few that are like that. Um, but I think for the most part, if we've been pastoring a while, the church will reflect our level of differentiation, will reflect our level of health. I had a friend who was a PhD therapist. She used to say to me, Pete, you want to be by God's grace, the most a, a mature person in the church, emotionally and spiritually. So that you may not be a therapist, but you can say to a, a, a fellow a staff person who works for you, you, know, you don't know what's going on. You're not a therapist, it's not your field. But you can say, when I'm with you, you know, Jane, for example, I, and I, I actually did this once. I, I've done it more than once. When I'm with you, I I experience you as judgmental.
2: Hmm.
0: I'm not saying you are judgmental. I'm not saying what's going on. Your I don't know your history. And all I'm saying, I experience you as judgmental. Now, that's a thoughtful feedback to give someone because hopefully yeah. I want to challenge them to come up the next level, Right. And not being reactive when people say, you know, Pastor, that sermon sucked. You know, that was the worst sermon I ever heard. You know, you say, oh, really? Well, tell me what was it about that sermon that was so awful for you? So I'm exploring versus getting reactive. And so getting to a place of less reactivity, more differentiation, begins to to basically bring the whole system into a greater calm. Yeah. And you're 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 not looking for people to. You want them to be who God made them to be within the context of a community, versus I want you to be who I want you to be because I need you to build my church and do this and this and this. And uh, you know, the level of your emotional maturity, differentiation, will determine the level of the churches. And that's why the more you grow as a leader internally, the more you're gonna you're gonna bring the church with you wherever you go.
1: It's surprising as I got emotionally healthier over the years. Our church got surprisingly emotionally <laughs> healthier without me having to teach on it, do anything. Conflict yes. dropped, uh, health increased, yeah. relationships got better as our marriage got better as, as yes. I just tried to keep short accounts. And I found I don't I don't know that you've discovered this with you, but you know how do you? New Life Church is a big church. Our church is over a thousand. It's fifteen hundred people, so you can't exactly have control like you could over twenty yeah. or thirty or a hundred, but. <clears throat> if I was good, I've, I've always taught my staff. Hey, if we're healthy at the senior level, if the relationship with our elders are healthy and between yeah. our elders, with our senior leadership team, with our staff, with key volunteers, and and you know most people can only really have yeah ten to fifteen meaningful relationships. Doesn't matter how big or how small your church is, your human span is ten to fifteen people that really kind of know what happened last Tuesday, and for yes. the rest, it's it's just hard to know. But if, if those relationships were healthy and if they were they were strong, somehow that percolated through the whole church. And if I took my eye off those relationships or I didn't lean in as hard as I needed to, or or I wasn't as authentic as I should have been, that somehow we started to get little fires even in the 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 outside regions of the church. Yes. Is that is that a common thing?
0: Yes. In fact, I mean I that I it's so interesting, Carrie. I did. I was my same philosophy. And our church yeah. is about the same size as yours. Yeah. Uh, and if I said, let's live it out ourselves, health, a deep walk with God, you're growing mm-hmm. and maturing again. Elders, staff, keep people. The inner circle I can quote control or monitor, and the rest will flow. And uh, new church development, which came out of Germany, and all you're familiar with them. They they do studies. Yeah, they do of, know them. Yeah, they do. They do studies out of Germany of. of levels of health in churches, and they've got the rest. Right. And they will tell you that regardless of the size of the church, just give me your core 30 or 50 people inside the church. You give me the names of your core people, and I'll tell you the health of your whole church. It doesn't matter if you have 10,000 people, because that inner core will reveal where the whole church is, which makes total sense, right? How can yeah. you—you're only going to give what you possess.
1: It's almost like the mom and dad in a relationship, right? If, if there's a healthy marriage there, the kids are more likely— to be healthy in the family is more likely to be healthy than if mom and dad are, you know, going at it every day.
0: So, for example, we tell parents, for example, you're a parent of children, the most important thing you can do is your own genogram of your family of origin going back three to four generations, your own awareness of how that's impacted you. What's a genogram? A, a genogram is a tool uh, that helps you map out trends or dynamics in your family going back three to four generations. Did not know and, that. Yeah, so it's a tool that I actually... I. I I was exposed to it initially in 1996 in a small way with a, in a therapist's office. And I said, this is powerful, you know, and the, the, the guy did this in 15 minutes. He goes, he goes, let's let's look at you and Jerry and your marriage. And he said, okay, let's look at your, Jerry, your parents' marriage. And Pete, let's look at your parents' marriage. You put it on a board. Tell, describe their marriage, you know, and aloof, you know, stable, but no intimacy. Then he goes, let's talk about your grandparents' marriage. And we looked at it and said, hmm, our marriage is not that different, even though we're <laughs> Even though we're the first generation of Christians, and that was one of my first eye openers of, oh my God, I'm preaching like, like I'm superior to all of them because I am mm. pastor and all that. Right. But the truth is, my marriage is no different, and uh, or very little different. Except for I, I we pray together and we read the Bible, we go to church and all that. And that was my first indication. Oh my gosh! And so a genogram, and I, I did my advanced work in marriage and family. Yeah, and uh, so there's all levels of doing a genogram so I actually like worked on it. how do you help people get it like how did your family do what's what is success Mm. for your family you know how'd your family do conflict how'd your family do affection you know how'd your family do money how'd your family do racism and the poor you know we can go on and Hmm. on and then the question is how do you do it and very often we do things very similar or in reaction to our family right and then you gotta say well no but how does scripture in the new family of Jesus how are we supposed to do it now discipleship is is breaking the sinful parts of our family of origin and our culture. So you Canadians have your cultural sins, just like we have ours here in the United States, and sure every every country does, and every every family and ethnic group does as well. And so you've got to sort that out. Then what doesn't belong in the family of Jesus, and that's got to go to the cross and die. That's the difficult material. Hmm. And so that's a level of the sex, we take sexuality as well, right? And how your family, what the messages you got about sexuality from your mom and dad, your parents, you know, and, uh, and, oh, nothing. Well, I know what was the message in the nothing uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that, that's, what, what's living in your body. Uh, how'd your family do attachment? Oh, we didn't. Okay. Well, how do you do attachment? I don't. Okay. But that's a discipleship issue because scripture calls us to love, right? Scripture calls mm-hmm. us to, to, to attach to people. Um, I know, but I don't know how to do that. I know, but that's why it's important that you get discipled. That's why the church exists, And so we're going to help you do that right now. So for me, it took me, Carrie, into a whole realm of got to help people into serious discipleship that's deeply going to change their lives um, and their families and their relationships so we can really make an impact in the world. But it all began to come together about discipleship. It's not just Bible study, it's it's applying the Bible very specifically uh, and kind of you know, forcing people. Like I, I had to do it first myself in my own life. Like I gotta, I gotta do some hard work here of discipleship and not just be enjoying great worship and prayer meetings and Bible studies. It's it's living it, not just talking about it. And that was that was a big shift for me. Big shift. How did
1: you learn all this, Pete? Well I mean, you you went from very self-admittedly not self-aware, conflicted yeah. marriage, yeah. Uh, I'll just lean harder into it, to this guy who all of a sudden has all this self-awareness. What what was that journey like
0: for you? Well, you got to remember, I'm, I'm almost 23 years down the road. So yeah. two things. One is, I had a, I really, I, I when this happened in 1996, and, and uh, you know, I'm a guy who was raised in scripture. I'm a guy who became a Christian at 19, poster child evangelical, cherry too, I mean, we just just varsity staff workers, blah, 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 seminary, the whole thing, and passionate, you know, for Jesus, loving Jesus. And so when, when this happened was in 1996. It was a conversion. It was like it was it was it was a it was a it was like bondage being broken off of sudden. We tasted mm-hmm. something of Jesus and the kingdom and life that we had not tasted in our 17 years prior to being a Christian. So we we didn't have a theology for it at the time, but we knew we had tasted something that was that was God, and mm-hmm. it pulled us forward. And so fortunately, Jerry herself is a. A research and developer, and I'm a research developer, yes. and so we just—I think we just—you well, know—we think about why is he, Why? How do we break through this thing? I said, well, part of it is we're, we were not just that we were just such a mess. We 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 were like we're both. We do love Jesus, and we know Jesus reached yeah. out and, and and grabbed us, and we wanted to respond to that. We were okay if the whole church left. We came back from the sabbatical and Said, "Yeah, we're going to start living this out. We're not going to change our mission to reach the poor and reach our mm-hmm. community and help develop leaders, but how we do it's going to change." And so we came back. Said, "If everybody leaves, it's okay, because we can only live with the integrity which we know is right at this point. We're not wow. going to play. We're not going to play church or pretend. But yes, and we we could have lost our marriage. We we could have left leadership. We we have been zealous Christians since we'd come to Christ in college together." And it was such a tragedy. that Here we were on the brink of leaving it all. And we were like, how did we ever get in this spot of, of such a level of exhaustion and misery of hating leadership? How did we get here? And so once we tasted another way of doing leadership, we were like, we're never going back. Never. Hmm. I mean, it would be absurd. So I think we had such an over-the-precipice experience, Kerry. We just, And so we have worked on it steady and been learning ever since and continue to grow. It led us, I, we haven't talked about this, but you know, it led us into learning from outside our tradition. We ended up in monasticism. Wow. Just slowing down. I ended up in Catholic monastery, Jerry and I, for a week of silence with the Trappist. I mean, we ended up in places we never imagined. This journey, it's like we got in a journey and we left the shore and it just kept opening up new doors to us and unfolding and and our church was so gracious i, I think it was so because we, i guess we were the founders they followed sure. me, right? they were like, you know and i think we, tr- we tried to be you know our church was just good soil uh, so open but and and i think because we were pastors of the church we were we we, we were still grounded in a local body the community gave us a grounding which was we were very fortunate um and i know we had each other and we had some great we had a great community to support us along the way. And so it just kind of had a life of its own. And we're, and we're honestly, Carrie, you ready for this? I mean, like,
2: yeah.
0: I'm learning, I'm growing. I mean, we feel like we're still, like, growing, like, a lot. Like, this thing is unfolding because, you know, we're following Jesus. And it just keeps getting wider and larger and deeper. And I'm so I'm, I'm I feel like I'm still changing. There's a lot to be changed in me, all right? And so I'm still changing and growing. So I, it's exciting to me. I, I'm, you know, it's, I think once you step into that journey, that level of connection with Jesus too, he's leading us places that are always new.
1: So I'm, I'm with you, Pete, and I think you know that, that our stories have, have a similar parallel. But what do you say to the guy who says to you, well, Pete, that's, that's great, but this isn't the gospel. This isn't spirituality. This is psycho babble stuff that you, you know, great that you're into pop psychology, but where is this really spirituality? Yeah. Do you ever get that? And what yeah. do you say yeah. to that? Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I, I, I say to that is I, I get it. I, I would have said the same thing.
1: <laughs> I know the 30 year old me would have said the same thing too. Yeah. I stayed away from people like me.
0: Yeah, This is the gospel. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the gospel. Um, the gospel is about the grace of God setting us free to love him and love other people. So, but what this is, is applying the gospel. This is deep application. Listen, ha- I know that I preach the gospel, but I lived law. And I, I, I don't think I—there's I, I levels of knowing the love of God. But you know, I, mm-hmm. I, the more I suffer, the harder I work, the more God's going to love me. That was my unspoken message.
1: Right. The more miserable I am, the better I am.
0: Yeah, and and I can can, can have a day alone with God if I suffer and work hard enough, you know? But again, we're so unaware of how much of that comes from family scripts with a conditional love and yet we're preaching grace, but really we are, we're living a law and we actually end up giving that to people around us. And why aren't they being, why are they feeling a heavy yoke from my leadership versus a freedom? Because I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm driving this vision but that drivenness is not coming out of a deep place with Jesus. It's coming out of my mm-hmm. own unresolved trauma and family of origin, stuff that I haven't thought about. And people in the room can feel uncomfortable, but hey, I'm the leader, and I'm gifted, so they're going to follow. You know, it's, it's, They work for me, and, but you can feel it in the room. And can, so can, can,
1: I, can you unpack that? I don't want to interrupt you, but that was no, so just, important, what you just said, that sometimes in our leadership, we're working out unresolved personal issues. Can you just unpack that?
0: Well, I would say you are working out your unresolved personal issues. Not sometimes, (laughs) you are. And especially with authority figures, uh, it really comes out. So, uh, for example, in a very, I learned the hard way over the years that when you hire someone who has unresolved issues with their parents, especially your father, uh, it's going to come out with you as, your, as their leader. It's only a matter of time. And they're unconscious of it. You say yes, they say no. You say up, they say down. You say right, they say left. You're like, this is so irrational. you know? Um, yeah. So, but, uh, and and very often the ambition and drivenness is coming from a deep well somewhere else. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's like to be with people, it's never enough just never yep. enough. That's a good sign. It's going back somewhere. So for me, who you are is is way more important than what you do. I mean, it's who you are is what you do. Uh, it, it's your person up there that we don't need. I, 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 at ninety six, I realized we don't need clever illustrations, and I really got the contemplative and learning from the desert fathers was a, you know, actually experiencing. I think the riches of monasticism. Outside of you know within the Orthodox Roman Catholic and even some Evangelical Protestant orders, really gave me a vision of a life with God And, and a practical vision that far was so outside the box of my training as a pastor that really served me to realize okay no I'm first a contemplative who seeks Jesus my my life is seeking his face. You know, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may, you know, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Psalm 27, four of David, you know, that he is my life first. And after that, I'm a leader, but I, you know, I'm, I'm pastoring the church, but that this is not my life. He's my life. And I think that enabled me to transition out of being lead pastor and take a different role in the church under the board and not being in any kind of executive leadership anymore. And because my identity was not in that any longer. I did it twenty six years, and it was great while I did it. But it was over; it was just over, and it was important that someone else step in and do it and take the church forward. But that that deepening our walk with Jesus, I, I again, I would say that's foundational to everything. I mean, that many times we end up not. I think many times in our churches, I discovered I, my relationship with Jesus became more functional than intimate. And I, it was the monastic, it was the contemplative tradition. Like when I, I remember we stayed with monks for a week, Trappist monks that, you know, their life was, you know, a Benedictine rhythm and just participating in their life, getting up, you know, seven times a day, stopping to pray and they would go to work, but their life was seeking his face. It was just such, it was so foreign to me. Yeah. I was like, this is like unbelievable. But I realized how important it is to learn from the broader church globally, and the broader church outside of our tradition. I mean, I consider myself an evangelical and uh, very committed to mission and raising up leaders. But I believe that we're just one piece of the larger church. Yeah. And so uh, I think unless we learn from folks outside ourselves, we'll remain shallow. I Hmm. do believe that. It's critical that we're open to learn from folks that we don't agree with everything uh, about what they're doing. That's okay. Is there...
1: A level of drive, ambition—you know that 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 sense in leadership that you're moving things forward—is there a redeemed version of that? Is there, or you, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. I, do, I I do I do get that a lot of that drive and ambition, and i I feel like I'm always testing my motives for it now, and they're mixed because we're on this side of heaven. Uh, but there was a time where probably blindly. I was just working out my issues. Like we talked about, but can you, you know, or how can you have a godly ambition or is there such a thing?
0: I think so. I I think, I mean, we see that in Paul, don't we? I mean, yeah, yeah. Paul clear.
1: uh, Or Moses on a mission, like he could have quit 1700 times.
0: Yeah. I think leadership is, You know, my best definition of leadership I like comes out of Bob Beal. Leadership is knowing what to do next, why it's important, and bringing the necessary resources to bear to make that happen. I mean, leaders are taking people somewhere, right? So, Jesus, I think the key is deter. So, if you're a leader, I think you have a responsibility before God with your life to be a good steward of that. Mm. How are you going to lead people forward? And I think, well, I can just speak as a person who's older now. It's a little Mm. easier. Uh, because there's nothing like, first of all, aging is a, such a gift hmm. because you're, I mean, it just, it just becomes so clear that, I mean, the foolishness of it, the, the, the absurdity of trying to impress people or. Whatever, you know, with what these goals I want to make a lot of money or have a big company or church, or it's so sad actually. When people are running after it, you're like, it's all right, you'll come back. It's a way I hope you survive. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you survive the process, but yeah. you know, part of it's just that immaturity. But I, I, I think the ambition is tempered by one, I really do believe that we need to. Every leader, in particular, needs a deep anchor in Jesus. So, mm-hmm. I'm a. I believe the disciplines of building in silence and solitude and stillness. These aren't optional spiritual practices for a leader, especially in the 21st century. These are these are indispensable. Yeah. Uh, that's and I, I think you know I have a spiritual director. I've got a. I got some mentors. I've got a, you know. Uh, Therapist, I'll go to occasionally as well. I go, you know, my wife and I'll do rounds of therapy personally or together. Mm-hmm. So I'm always working on myself to kind of, I don't trust my, then I got, you know, I got people around me who's, who's, I try to create an environment. Well, whether I want to or not, they say stuff to me. Uh, so I think, you know, we can do foolish things at any point in our life, regardless of how wise we may be at the moment. So don't we'll ever want to underestimate that. Uh, but I think if you're, if you're, deepening your walk with Jesus. Um, and you're listening to, you're, you're asking God, what do, would you have me to do? And you don't, if you, you know that Ignatian thing of, uh, Ignatian principle of discernment of, on a scale of one to 10, are you holding it before God? Like totally, like God whatever your mm. will is. And I think what I learned in diving into manassism in 2003, which really my deep immersion was, life is doing God's will, not mine. So as much as I have, mm. I have, General direction goals. And, you know, if like God's leading me to this, I'm always holding it with an open hand. And I'm like, God, not my will, but your will be done. And what would you have me do today? What would you have me do, you know, with my gifts right now with emotionally healthy discipleship? Well, what, what, how are you leading? That, that's my whole life posture is open. Uh, I, I wasn't there to that level of, I think, freedom until I actually entered into drawing from some of the riches outside of. Hey, build a church. The, the God's goal is get it as big as you can, as fast as you can, and reach as many people as you can. And I've had people tell me that. No, that's You don't need to pray about anything. The Great Commission is there. Just go do it. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not what the Bible's teaching. Yes, go do it. We all have the Great Commission. We're committed right. to it. But your role may be to live in North Africa among Muslims and have a church of three. Right? Or, and you or, can be faithful. And you've been a tremendous success. Or you can build something really large and be a failure because God never asked you to do it. He asked someone else to do that, and I think that's why the discernment of God. What would you have me to do?
1: How do you discern that? How do you how do you today discern what God wants you to do next?
0: So I do. Number one, I so. Of course the foundation is i'm always asking god right yeah. and you know but like
1: how do you know it's not breakfast that you're hearing back on or yeah, do you yeah. hear breakfast yeah. or so, do you so, hear
0: god? yeah voices yeah yeah so so um no i don't hear literal voices uh although i've had some moments of such clarity <laughs> yeah. that it felt like that um yep. but i'm listening to m- the spirit of god who lives inside of me hmm. and passions longings and desires. So for example, I'll give you an example. So I, um, uh, I have a desire, a passion, a burden to write a book on marriage, emotionally healthy marriage at some point, of course, and all that. And I'm like, let's, you know, I been, we've been teaching it 26 years. I mean, I'm like, come on, let's, I'm sorry, 22 years. Well, let's just, yeah. I want to do it. And I was already like launch and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to start this thing. It's probably a two to probably a two to two and a half, three year project. Book, workbook, DVD, all that. And it I, I was showing, you know, as i have been like wrestling with it. I took a day alone with God before I started back to work after vacation. But I was like, just didn't. I was like, I was excited at the same time, I was like, I, I have so much other stuff to do that's important. Like, I don't know if this is the time, you know. And and I'm like, but I really want to do it, but I don't know. And so here I am. Like, and then I showed it to Jerry. I said, Jerry, what do you think about this? You know, and she says, well, I thought you said a year, a year and a half ago, the most important thing is this.
2: <laughs>
0: if you do that, well then, then that's never gonna happen. She says, I, I don't see the space for you to do that right now. And but yeah, she's like, whatever you know, whatever you want to do, you do, you know, and like obviously it's your choice, but I don't it's hard for me to say. She it was a five minute conversation. But I, yeah. I, I it was like God. It was like God. <laughs> you that's know, it. I and I just had to get alone. I was like, it's not time. And then I got in touch with like, why was I, want, what do I want to do now? Because I'm afraid I'll die and I'll never get done. Hmm. I'm, I'm afraid of things because it's, it's such a big project, two, three years. And part of me is afraid that I'll die and it won't happen. And so, so, and once I, you know, I, I wrote my journals like this. And I started with my executive director here and she's like, yeah, I wasn't feeling so good about it either. You know? <laughs> really? And, yeah, she didn't say that. So why did you say something? She was, I don't know. You were so excited about it. What was I going to say, and and uh, but but I knew I was in a process, and I actually have a coach I'm going to talk to about it. Uh, I you know next week, and but I realized it's already kind of got resolved before I even talked to the guy. Hmm. Uh, but I I knew I was in a process. So again, there's certain big decisions that are a discerning process, right? And but something as simple as uh, last weekend, I invited three friends down from you know we friends 30, 40 years. And uh, spent a day at the beach to uh, my uh, in New Jersey. And we spent a whole day together. But Jerry and I love our time alone, mm. you know, with God, with each other, family. But I, I monitor how much stuff, entertaining do I want to do, hospitality can I handle, do I want to do at this season in light of how much time I, I want alone with Jerry. So I, I live on a rule of life, kind of a monastic rule of life that I update each year of how I want to, structure of my life to keep Jesus at the center. See, keeping what do I need to keep Jesus at the center of everything I do? That's number one. So that's, you know, what time alone with God I need, then I got Jerry and I got four girls. Two are one's married, another one's getting married. And so those are like my highest responsibilities. God, Jerry, and then our children who are now adult children. And uh, now I've got I want to work. I want to work a five day week. I don't want to work a seven day week. I don't want to work a six day right. I have a Sabbath. So I got certain structures in there. And There's only so much time. And then I'm like, okay, God, how would you have me best spend this time? And so even with Rich, you know, New Life Fellowship, I'm like renegotiating a bit. I'm like 20% on staff here at New Life. And New Life Fellowship releases me to serve the larger church around the world with emotionally healthy uh, spirituality, which I do. But then, you know, so I wanted to renegotiate some things at New Life. I want to cut back a little bit on this because I want to do a bit more externally this stuff. But it's all a process, right? And Mm -hmm. And you have other voices. Speaking Absolutely. into it. Yeah. So I, I don't trust myself totally, but I am listening to the movements of the Spirit of God inside of me. That's something I didn't do before. Yeah. Uh, I didn't trust myself. No, I, I have a, pa- I got this huge passion for racial reconciliation since I became a Christian at 19 years old. We built our church on it. And so where'd that come from? I wouldn't say you got to do it there and right near, no, but I, but I, I know, that was a God thing for me. And I had to be listen to that and follow it.
1: Who are you reading um, who's influencing you? Like if, if there were a couple of books you've written extensively, we'll link to your website, your resources in the show notes. But you mentioned um, monastic life. I know one of my favorite books, and we'll link to it in the show notes, is Henry Nowen's The Genesee Diaries. Not particularly well-known work of his, but he went to a monastery sorting out his soul stuff and it's just his diary. And he talks about finding Jesus and finding his brokenness in the rhythm of everyday life. It's powerful. Who, who are you reading that you would say, hey, if you're looking to get in touch with yeah, this, yeah. Read, read, try these two or three books?
0: I'll give you two that I read this summer that impacted me. And I was, uh, um, the first is, is uh, Fleming Rutledge's book, The Crucifixion.
1: Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah,
0: and that's thick. It's like 600 pages, um, but it's a—I thought a brilliant work on the crucifixion, The best I've ever oh. read, actually. Um, and I, you know, I read different books differently based on you know how God's coming to you. And so I actually read it very slowly and outlined it, and I spent time in the scriptures she was referring to, and it's basically about the centrality of the crucifixion, and I really you know we are about preaching the crucified Jesus. Mm-hmm. And not, not a Corinthian Gnosticism uh, that Paul was coming up against. And I, and I was really challenged by that. And I, I loved it uh, in terms of being gospel-centered. But and again, I see emotionally discipleship as crucifixion applied. That we're following. We preach nothing but Christ crucified. or mm-hmm. We're calling people to Jesus. And a life where we reject the world's definition of success, the world's definition of being great the world's definition of being popular, and we follow Jesus to a cross, and a resurrection out of that. That's number one. The second was I, I read a book that, a little differently. Uh, it's called Deep Work. I forget the guy's name. It's called Deep yeah, Work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know who you mean. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I liked it. What I liked about it was, I think you made a really good point about how our culture even pulls us greater to shallow work. Hmm. And how important it is that we set aside very specific time to do deep work. So, I, so what's what's impacted me since, and I I I know what it is to write a book, as you know, Carrie takes a lot of deep work. You, gotta you got to isolate yourself. You got tremendous discipline of just staying with it, not moving from your seat. Um, but what I liked about it, even with, with deep work around my work in a given day at the office, like today was a primarily an office day for me here at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. So. Um, I I said, I'm not going to get involved in like email, Twitter, uh, answering these phone calls. I am going to do some deep thinking, deep work around how we are helping churches bring these courses into their midst. And we had a number of issues we were wrestling with. I said, I just need three to four hours to focus and not talk to anybody. And so so I came to church at one o'clock, but I was in such a good place. And now I've been in meetings, you know, now through the day and my day will end here at, you know, five thirty. But I can do a bunch of stuff here right now. I'm doing this podcast with you and it's all good. But I, I know this isn't my deep work of thinking time. Yeah. And I'd like I just like the way he defined it.
1: That's a big change for me, too. Um, You know, my sort of catalyst was a burnout, and I'm like, okay, i got to live differently, and that happened in my case 12 years ago. And and the, the, the reinvention was underway before that, but I was very uncomfortable with silence, very uncomfortable with being alone and quiet. You know, Blaise Pascal, man's chief problem is his inability to sit quietly alone in his room by himself. Very true. Um, but, but I've found my most productive work and my most meaningful enjoyment in my work often comes from that deep work that is away from all the distractions away from everything. And where you have to be at peace with yourself to be able to access that, um, Pete, while I've got you, I got to ask you this question because I get it a lot. I'm sure you get it all the time too. This has been so helpful, so enlightening, in terms of really being in touch with yourself and in touch with Christ. Um, But there are people listening going, okay, great. I work for an emotionally unhealthy leader, or I'm married to a very emotionally unhealthy person. Help. What do I do? How do you, can you wave a flag and go, excuse me, boss, but uh, you're a train wreck? Like, (laughs) what do you say? What do you do? How do, you, how do you approach the people around you? Uh,
0: yeah, I think, I think you're, you're, you're first, uh, and this, you're not alone, right? This is right. the nature of life, right? Going to the supermarket can be a challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the key is you're monitoring, you're working on yourself and you're monitoring yourself and your reaction. And when, when you find yourself reacting, the question is, what does your reaction tell you about yourself? not about the other person. And so my counsel is you do the work, the hard work of growing and maturing yourself. That's, that's number one. It's not changing everybody around you, it's let God change you. Hmm. And the rest of it will unfold with time, but it's you that's the key to this. And so it could be something as simple as a mother who's constantly babysitting for her adult daughter, and so I don't have a life and I'm angry and I'm bitter and she's ruining my life and she's oh, she's always demanding and expecting this and this. That's not about her, hmm. your daughter and son-in-law. It's about you being able to set you know, a healthy boundary and, and, and how do you assert yourself and how do you have a voice and, and your understanding of who you are. There's so much going on there. So my focus, my word to you would be work on you first before you work on anybody else.
1: It's a good word. Kind of a lifetime project too, if I'm not mistaken.
0: It is, yeah. And it will unfold. It will unfold. You can't control the people's reactions. You mentioned
1: family, and we talked about it a lot at the beginning of the interview. Um, and you mentioned, you know, growing up in an abusive environment and everything. Were you able to, or how were you able to work that through with your parents, or did that yeah, happen?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 in fact, the great thing about doing this kind of work and uh, your family of origin, it actually heals the relationships because you don't want cutoffs. Hmm. You can have emotional cutoffs, physical cutoffs.
1: Yeah, because one thing would be, wow, if you grew up in that kind of environment, I haven't talked to them in 20 years, right? You you hear those stories, but your yep. story didn't go in that direction.
0: No, absolutely. And so, for example, my mom, for example, who had, my mom had, had you know, severe mental illness, wasn't really hmm. able to raise us. Uh, and so as I got in this journey, she lived another... I guess eight nine years, and you know was she quote repentant and was she No, I mean as a level of awareness that she was able to to do with me, but it was a I, I felt like I'm not forget her funeral and my dad's funeral. I remember saying looking at it, my whole extended family in the room and saying I I first of all I I, I have a great relation with everybody. I don't have any cutoffs mm-hmm. any unspoken stuff. I feel great, but. I wasn't living any kind of lies anymore, and I just, not that we spoke about everything, and not that everything was all, quote, resolved, but there was integrity in a sense of, I have my direct one-on-one relationship with everybody. I'm not going through other people. My siblings, you know, we're very committed to our relationship now. We're spread around the country in the United States, and we all kind of came through a war together. But we all have, and we all know where we've been, but we've, we, you know, we we meet every once or twice a year. Uh, stay in you know, weekly contact with each other. And it's wonderful. But do we carry scars from our past? Of course we all do, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I would say that this is the way the healing of the cutoffs of your past is to go back, I call it go back to go forward. Like yeah. Joseph, Joseph's the great example in scripture. He went back with his brothers who betrayed him and wrecked him, but he saw the hand of God in all of it. And he was able to use it so he could be a blessing to the world out of his pain. He grieved it, and I had to grieve it. So grief and loss is very mm. important. But he, he knew that he became a gift to the nations. And I believe that God's called all of us to be a gift to the world out of mm. our histories, regardless of what's happened to you. So I, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you, Carrie, if I did not have the unique pain of my own life. I mean, all of us got yeah. our pains, right? But because I've, I've, I've grieved and connected with my own pain, I can connect with anybody's pain. I may, mm. not, have died, I may yeah. not have died of AIDS. I may not have been raped. I've not I'm not about a child die, but I have grieved my own losses. And if you grieve your own losses, you can grieve anybody's losses. Hmm. That's and so that's why it's so important that people get in reality. Because spirituality, if anything, is all about reality, not medicating ourselves to run away from it. True. And so
1: no, that's a really good word. And, and it, is, it is a redemptive word too. I mean, my book, which just came out, didn't see it coming, really comes out of the most painful period of my life. And it's lessons I could only really learn. We were having dinner with friends, good friends, people who were there sort of for the crash, before the crash, during the crash, after the crash. We were at dinner with them last week, my wife and I, they were over at the house and he's remarked on it three or four times. He said, it's amazing to me how something that painful to you is something God has used again and again. But that is kind of the promise, isn't it?
0: Well, Kerry, absolutely. Tell me the title of your books. So I'm going to ask you to send me a copy. since it I just would came, I would it love to. It just came to. out. And give me in three minutes or so the thesis and heart of the story out of which that came out of and what is the gift you're trying to communicate to us through that.
1: Yeah. So the book is called Didn't See It Coming. It's about overcoming the seven greatest challenges that no one expects, but everyone experiences. It's semi-autobiographical, a little bit like your first book, um, The Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, But it really deals with seven issues that I've had to tackle, and I've just seen lots of other leaders try to tackle, that are the stuff that flies under the radar screen, Uh, things like cynicism, um, emptiness, you've already talked about. Like, why is it that you can be successful on the outside, but feel empty on the inside? Why is it that you can be grateful? Like, you know, you're grateful, but you don't feel full. Irrelevance, pride, disconnectedness, um, just this, you know, feeling of being all alone and isolated in leadership. Uh, um, compromise, not just the moral compromise that gets you divorced or fired, but the little things, the lies you tell every day, the the unwillingness to be honest with yourself or with your team or with your family. I like so it's that. really, So it's really those issues. And then I've got a section on burnout too, because I, I, I hit burnout uh, 12 years ago. I was 41. And it was really, it was a, a slide into burnout where I started to learn about some of this stuff and went, oh gosh, I'm becoming cynical. What's up? And Really, the the book is is a breath of life saying, okay, so you grew cynical. All right, so you burned out or you got low-grade burnout or you feel empty. That's not the end of the story. And so there's sort of a meta-theme in each of the sections and each of the issues about, okay, what theologically is going on here? And then I try to give some really practical tips. Like when it comes to pride, I think a lot of pride is is, is driven by insecurity, not just narcissism. If pride is an obsession with self... The insecure are proud people because they just they don't want smart people in the room. They they're afraid to let other people have the spotlight. They wouldn't do what you did and step out of the senior role. They would hang on to it until they die because their identity is is tied up in it. Because they're afraid. Um, so what do you do? Well, that's a theological problem at a very deep level. We go there, but then it's okay. Here's what you can do next week: push someone else into the spotlight. Just just give them the chance that the habit of humility, will, will actually cultivate a humility in you, and you don't have to wait for your emotions to start. Eventually, your emotions will catch up to your obedience. So that's what the book's about. That's why I'm, I'm saying a lot of very quiet amens as you're talking over the last hour.
0: Well, I think I love it. I look forward to reading it. But I, and I think our best books, for me, come out of our lives. I, I think yeah. that's one thing. I, you know, I write I, I along the journey. I, I think that's, what do you have to offer? But out of what, how God's coming to you, Hmm. as a person, as a leader. So that's that's fantastic. That, that's well,
1: great. thank you. And, and you know what? In, in a real way, you've been part of that journey. So thank you, Pete. I really thank appreciate you. it. Hey, people are going to want to learn more. You have your own podcast. Tell us about it. And then tell us a website where they can find you and connect with you.
0: Yeah, so the podcast is called Emotionally Healthy Leader. But I would encourage people to go to our website, EmotionallyHealthy.org, and basically our mission is uh, to equip the church in a discipleship that deeply changes people uh, Mm -hmm. for the sake of the world. So uh, probably as a leader, but the key book that's out there is The Emotionally Healthy Leader that I wrote after my 26 years of being lead pastor. um, That is probably the most popular book out there for leadership. But leadership flows out of healthy discipleship. And I found that many leaders have gaps in their discipleship. And thus, we're talking about things like managing a team and strategic planning. But how are you going to discern God strategically for an organization if you're not discerning God for yourself on a personal level? And so I would encourage you to go to the website. You folks look at um, some of the videos on there about what is this Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course and the leaders' kits. And I would just go to a, you know, just begin to explore in there. That's what I would encourage people to dig into is what's called emotionally healthy discipleship course that I believe is going to be the fruit fruition of our 22 years of work offering the church, something to bring to the church that's going to radically change their culture, but it's not your average, you know, Bible study. This right. is a, you're, right. you're going to do a genogram. You're going to do silence and stillness and daily offices and Sabbath. And, it, it, uh, in fact, Carrie, she's thinking of your church, check it out as well. Oh, well. Um, we're, in ver- we're in a very early stages, uh, it's not a small group curriculum. It's, a, it's a, much like Alpha. It's a centralized course for evangelism. It's a centralized course where the leader gets trained. The leader has to live it a little bit before you teach it. Yep. So we say, if you haven't lived it, don't teach it because you, you just, you're just transmitting information. Gonna, it's like Im- immunizing people against the truth. So don't do it. Wait, live mm-hmm. it, and then teach it out of your life. Then it's going to have some significant impact.
1: We will link to all that in the show notes. Pete, I can't thank you enough.
0: Thank you so much. Carrie, thank you very much. It's been a joy to be with you, and it's been great getting to know you. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's fun that we get to do this, isn't it?
0: It isn't. Now I've got the idea of interviewing people on my podcast as well, so you will be one of my guests. I would once love I, to once I get rolling in it. Thank you very much, Carrie. God bless you, and thanks for the privilege.
1: Yeah, that's so real, isn't it? And I hope it's so helpful. So you may want to dive into the show notes. You'll find everything at slash episode Two thirty, or you can just go to Lead Like Never Before. Click on Blog, you'll find it all there. So that's where you'll find the show notes, guys. Uh, this show's free, so wherever you get your podcast, if you are a new listener and you haven't subscribed yet, here's the truth: I only ever listen to the podcast I subscribe to. So if you enjoyed this, hit subscribe and uh, maybe leave us a rating and review. We are over eight hundred ratings and reviews. Thank you guys for doing that. Thanks for sharing this with your friends, with your team. It's been an awesome journey so far. And the journey's a little bit bigger than this podcast. So here's here's what I'd love to do. If we haven't also connected on social yet, why don't we do that? Uh, all the links are in the show notes or you can just find me at C. Newhoff or Carrie Newhoff. So easy to spell. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I also write a blog, which you can find at Lead Like Never Before. Plus, you know, I do some books. So anyway, it's fun to connect in the wider realm. And I just love hearing from you guys and uh, trying to get in your corner. Now, next week we are back. We got a great December lined up. And my guest next week is John Thompson. Now, John is a leader that you may not have heard of, but you're gonna want to get to know. And we talk about calling and gifting. John's been a friend for many, many years. And his teaching on this stuff is blown up. He is a fascinating guy leading a one of Canada's fastest growing churches. And John and I talked about this, this question that I get a lot from people in business, people in ministry. What am I truly called and gifted to do?
0: Listen to this. But there was a gift given to you. And so certain spiritual gift clusters lead naturally to vocational ministry. And natural gifts and acquired gifts are there, but there are certain clusters. And at that moment, again, it's critical. And and just to share this, if you're going into vocational ministry, 80% of your job description better be in your spiritual gifts.
1: So whether you're a marketplace leader or a church leader, I think you'll find this fascinating. Uh, Got Daniel Pink coming up in December too. That's going to be a lot of fun. So Guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, again, subscribe if you haven't done that. We're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join
0: us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.